Welcome to Stories of Iceland. Since the last episode was recorded, we bought a new apartment, and it has been a lot of work. I have been busy for months, and we are not yet finished with everything. Sorry for the delays. Iceland has also been busy. Earthquakes rocked the little town of Grindavík, which is situated close to the popular tourist attraction, the Blue Lagoon. Magma rose up towards the town, but has yet to break its way to the surface. The ground was torn asunder, causing extensive damage to buildings and infrastructure. The town was evacuated, and the inhabitants to live in constant uncertainty. This comes at a time of a housing shortage in Iceland, which is in part caused by apartments, especially in Reykjavik, being bought up and rented out to tourists. If you are traveling to Iceland, and if you can make do with a hotel room, it could actually help people find homes. One problem with writing about Iceland is that translation isn't as easy as it seems, at least if you're aiming for accuracy. Some words refer to a tradition that never existed anywhere else in the form it did here. For instance, there is a term for the poorest people, dependents, who had no family who could help them and were forced to live in the homes of well-off farmers or priests. Another is the terminology for magic. The Icelandic word galdur has no equivalent in English. I can use a term like witchcraft or sorcery, but the word galdur has a history of its own, which can be traced back to the old Norse tradition, to Odin himself who howled or chanted his magic. But I try my best. This was yet another episode which looked like it would be quick and easy, but I have instead found myself reading scant manuscripts and books that can be found online, but also visiting the library so I would hopefully have all the information that forms the background to the story I'm trying to tell. A quick word of warning. This episode includes a kind of ghost story, and it has some dark elements. If you want to help me focus more of my energy towards this podcast, please support me on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. I'd like to thank all my supporters, especially Brianna, a friend of the podcast. Join them at patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. There is extra material there. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 53, My Cursed Ancestors. Iceland is in the North Atlantic, 
Its capital city is Reykjavik. When Icelanders first started to write in their own language, one of the main objectives was to record genealogical information. This is the reason many of us can trace our lineage back to the age of settlement, to kings in the Nordic countries in Ireland, and from there all the way back to Troy, where Odin was apparently from. At some point there is serious doubts as to the veracity of the information. When I followed my family line back ten generations, through a line that leads all the way back to Ragnar of the Furry Pants, I found a man with the nickname Galdramistari, Master of Sorcery. Though the line leads to legendary figures, the connection to this man is rather firm. It is just a matter of checking the records. Of course, the weak point in any family lineage are fathers. While we can be pretty certain that the mothers actually gave birth to the children, there could be some fudging regarding paternity. Luckily, the links between me and the master of sorcery are mostly women. The odds are thus in favor of him being my actual ancestor. The bit which causes doubt and confusion is the supernatural. I don't think he performed any of the actual sorcery which is attributed to him. This master of sorcery was Einar Nikolausson. We can't know for certain when he was born, though it was likely during the 1620s. His family was quite respectable. In 1653 he was ordained as a priest, and in 1660 he was given the church of Skinnastadir in northeast Iceland, in a region named for the fjord Axarfjörður. Axfjord. This could very well have been nepotism, since he was married to the old priest's daughter. For a person from the 17th century, there is quite a contemporary paper trail for Einar, but there are really no indications that he was connected to sorcery. Before we dwell into various tales told about him, we need to situate Einar within history. While people often refer to witch hunts as medieval, the panic only began in earnest during the early modern period, in the 16th century. The timing is connected to religious conflicts and religious fervor during the Reformation and Counter-Reformation. Neither Catholics nor Protestants were innocent in this matter. In much of Europe, the intensity of the panic began to wane in the 1620s, though there were various flare-ups, for instance in England during the Civil War. When the Salem witch trials occurred during the late 17th century, they were seen as evidence that the colonists were a backward people. Iceland was also behind on the trend. There are a few cases of witchcraft before 1625, but that year marks the start of the Age of Burning, which lasted almost till the end of the century. 
Now, there is much to be said about this period in Icelandic history. But for this episode, we only need to remember that the country was an outlier because of gender. In the rest of Europe, about 80% of people convicted of witchcraft were women. There were anomalies such as Normandy, where men counted as two-thirds of those convicted, but nothing compares to Iceland. During the age of burning 21 people were executed for witchcraft, of those there was only one woman. Why? This is a question scholars have wrestled with for centuries. One important piece of the puzzle might be the fact that witchcraft in Iceland was often connected to books of sorcery. So in Iceland it wasn't the stereotype of an older woman who knew some healing. It was a man who could read manuscripts with archaic knowledge or at least carve magical symbols. Since there was no formal education for women in Iceland during this time period, they were less likely to have access to forbidden knowledge which was necessary to perform witchcraft. One question about people convicted of witchcraft is whether they believed that they themselves were actually doing magic. I think the answer is that some of them did. Of course, we don't have much reliable evidence of this. Many of them had been convinced of their own guilt or just imagined that a confession might lead to a more lenient punishment. Einar Nikolason lived through the age of burning, but there are no indication that he was ever charged with witchcraft. Some say that this was because the actual practitioners of magic were too clever to be caught. But the stories of his use of magic and the nickname Galdramistari do not emerge until a century or so after his death. From what I can gather, these stories might even have come from a single source, which even claims Einar ran a school of magic and taught his craft to others. In the great folktale collection of Jón Arnason, which was published in the 1860s, there is a short section about Einar Nikolausson. There you can find what is arguably the most famous story about this master of sorcery. It is strange, because the tone indicates that he is actually the hero of the story, but maybe not by our modern standards. Einar ensorcels himself a whale. Once, during a particularly hard year, the priest wanted to ensorcel a whale to a beach which belonged to his church. When he arrived there, he had himself buried in the sand by the sea and started chanting his magic. He had with him his son Thorarin, who could watch and inform his father if the weather appeared to be changing. Finally, the skies began to blacken, and when the sun told the priest, the latter only intensified his sorcery, howling at the sea. Now, a great northern storm formed over the ocean, creating mighty waves, and then a whale was cast upon the beach. 
the priest crawled from under the sand and gave orders for the whale to be cut to pieces, transported to his home, and boiled before anyone could be tempted to taste the meat. The priest made sure that the first bite was given to a poor dependent person in his home, who dropped dead as soon as he ate the piece. After this, the priest consumed some of the meat with no ill effects. He then declared the meat safe and gave it to everyone in this parish, which was a great help in those trying times. Now, a very generous reader might assume that Einar, acting in the spirit of Jesus, wanted to give the first piece of the meat to the most needy person around. But a more common interpretation is that this dependent, who had no family to care for them, was seen as dispensable. The sorcerer knew that the first bite would be poisonous, so he was forced to sacrifice someone, and he chose the most expendable individual around. The story introduces us to Thorarin Einarsson, who is also a character in his own little tale. Thorarin is said to have spent three days and nights upon the top of a mountain with a call in his mouth. He used this to capture a spirit of the air which was attracted to the call. This gave him the power to know things that had happened without anyone having to inform him of what had occurred. There are other tales of the sorcery master, which might be even less flattering towards Einar than the one about the whale. The stories of Einar's sorcery had spread all the way to the western fjords. The people of Arnarfjörður decided to send their own magic user to test his power, a boy named Björn. This was during the later years of Einar's life, when his son Jón had become assistant priest. When Björn arrived, the father and son were quite sure what his actual mission was. They allowed him to stay at Skinnastadir for two or three nights before they acted. One day, father and son were doing some work in the graveyard, and the boy was left alone in the farmhouse. Then a young girl, maybe three or four winters old, appeared and approached Björn. He asked the girl what she wanted. She stammered the words, To kill you. The boy ordered her instead to kill the priest's most valuable cow and bull. After she did this, he told her to go to the graveyard and kill the father and the son. First she ran towards Jón, who put out his hands with finger, with fingers spread, with fingers spread, and, and she, and became so frightful that the girl backed away. Some even say that he turned into an eagle, that he even turned to an eagle to repel her. Now she attacked his father instead. Suppose, supposedly, Einar felt that subduing the girl was his most challenging magical feat. Now the boy Björn was forced to flee from Skinnastadir, but gained the hospitality of a neighboring farmer who felt that he had been the victim of magical attacks by the priests. He blamed them for the death of his cows. 
the boy advised the farmer to buy a cow from the priests and pay them double the regular price. This he did, and afterwards his cattle fared much better. The farmer also complained that the priests always knew what he had said about them. So Björn advised him never to mention them directly. He should rather refer to them euphemistically as the men below the hill. This apparently worked so well that the boy was given the farmer's daughter in marriage. The feud went on, and it is said that Einar wanted Björn dead. During a communion ceremony, the priest is said to have attempted to poison the other with an enchanted fly hidden inside the cup. Björn managed to slip behind the next person in line, who dropped dead as soon as they had a sip of the wine. When Björn had returned back home, one of his children died. The day after the child's burial, one of his workers came to him and asked why he looked so sad. The situation is as bad as it can get. Einar the priest is trying to bring my offspring back from the dead and then force the child to kill me. Then Björn took a stick and used it to beat a nearby chest. He kept this up until midnight. Afterwards, the news came from Skinnastadir that Einar the priest had died the same night, and it was said that it had been Björn who killed him. Of course, the magical elements makes this tale fantastical, but the thing which makes it seem the most far-fetched is the worker asking a father why he is so sad when he had just lost a child. There is very little logic there. Even if we are led to believe that men hid their feelings, it seems really outlandish that anyone would be surprised that a man was depressed at a time like that. There is another tale which claims that Einar had killed someone with poison. He had a physical confrontation with a man named Pietur from Wapnafjörður. This ended badly for the priest, but the other man soon died under suspicious circumstances. When I read that tale, I thought to myself, I know his name. Sure enough, this Pietur was also my forefather. His son was the magistrate at Gable Mountain Farm, who was the main character of episode 12 of this podcast. The connection between these men is through their mutual great-granddaughter. That line leads to my great-grandfather Ole, the son of Johannes, who was featured in episode 23, The Berserker of Butterhill. As has already been mentioned, Einar had a son named Jón, who took over at Skinnastadir when his father died in 1699. He has gone down in folklore as Jón Greipaglennir, Jón with the spread hands. The tales don't agree whether Jón got his nickname because he used the pose to frighten a zombie child, or if he simply had a rather unique way of posing his hands while he was doing a benediction in church. Frankly, my very rationalist explanation of the name leads me to believe that he might have been afflicted with arthritis or some other ailment which caused pain to his finger joints. 
Gion served as priest until his death in 1737. Now Gion's son, Einar's grandson, named Einar Jonsson, took over the parish at Skinnastadir. While his father and grandfather had grown rich, his fortune dwindled during his tenure at Skinnastadir. This has been interpreted as an indication that he and other descendants of Einar the Elder were cursed. Another interpretation is that he simply served during an extremely difficult time for this part of the country. In 1775, when he was about 70 years old, he gave up his priesthood, though he lived for about a decade afterwards. Three generations of priests served at Skinnastadir for a total of 115 years. There aren't really any tales told of Einar Jonsson, but he is said to have been a sorcerer like his father and grandfather. What we do have is a copy of a manuscript that he wrote about medicine, mostly herbal treatments. There were no sons who could take over the priesthood at Skinnastadir, but his daughter is said to have been a wandering healer. Many years ago, when I first looked into these three ancestors of mine, I asked a friend of mine, a folklorist who has studied witchcraft in Iceland, and is frankly more open to the idea of supernatural activity than me, told me that calling someone a sorcerer wasn't always to be taken literally. Many of the people labeled as such were learned men. As I mentioned before, books and knowledge were widely connected to witchcraft. The fact that we know that the last in line dabbled in medicine does make me think that his father and grandfather might also have done so. I think this could have attributed to their reputation as having magical powers. Healing people wasn't yet a science. Prescribing a herbal remedy wasn't far removed from giving people a carved magical rune for protection against sickness. No one really understood the workings of the body or the causes of illness. Where was the line between medicine and magic? Einar the Elder is supposed to have left behind a book of witchcraft. The manuscript was supposedly passed down by his descendants until the first half of the 19th century when an overzealous priest got a hold of the book and burned it. The evidence for the existence of the manuscript and its fate comes from a 19th century source. This person said that he had examined the book himself and described it as containing a well-known treatise on whales by a contemporary of Einar Nikolason, a bit of herbal lore, and some examples of magical runes. Tantalizingly, there is a manuscript which fits this description. It is not an original. It was copied back in 1846 by the person who owned the original before it was destroyed. Alas, we can't be sure if the source in question saw an actual manuscript from Einar the Elder. He might have conflated two different books. 
The manuscript might even have been wrongfully attributed to the master of sorcery. On the other hand, it would make perfect sense if Einar had written a manuscript which mixed knowledge of the natural and the supernatural. He would not have seen these as being fundamentally different categories. The most interesting thing about Einar Nikolason, master of sorcery, might be that he was an artist. He is known for carving decorations and is even said to have been a master of embroidery. His son Thorin, the one who helped with the whaling expedition, was an accomplished woodcarver himself. His beautifully carved panels have been found all over northeastern Iceland, and quite a few of them have survived to this day. It does seem highly unlikely that Einar Nikolausson openly practiced and taught sorcery at a time when men were regularly being burned alive for carving magical symbols or owning manuscripts about witchcraft. On the other hand, he might have tried healing people with means that we now deem supernatural and, if so, he could have passed that knowledge on to his descendants. That is it for this episode. Thanks to Oscar Giesbrecht, Sean Pitcherton, Jay Snooston, Novaita von Helstere, Emily Cooper, Evan Williams, Jon Helgeson, and all my other supporters. Special thanks to Brianna, a friend of the podcast. I am Olegnisti Solhjarsson, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 53, My Cursed Ancestors. <laughs> <laughs>